Thank you, Aaron. And uh, it's a joy to have Aaron with us, isn't it? Amen. Cheap applause anytime we can get it, right? <laughs> but uh, I was telling Aaron what a great time of the year it's been for him to land here at Coast Community as we've uh, just gone right into Holy Week as he's been here just a few weeks and to experience this with you all. And, and not only did we have a wonderful baptism service this morning, but uh, Friday night, uh, uh, an amazing gathering around the cross, literally, as this room was set up in the round, as we gathered around the cross and read the story, heard the story of Jesus' crucifixion and His death, and a moving time that was. And uh, I would just encourage you, put that on your calendar for next year, Good Friday. And uh, even the night before that, Maundy Thursday, Maundy, the, the, the Latin word for, for commandment, this idea of the new command that I give you, Jesus said to his disciples as he washed their feet. A new command I give you, love one another. It's by your love that the world will know that you're my disciples. And so we remembered on that night through a prayer path, some of the different elements of that night that Jesus spent with his disciples, washing their feet, serving them the Last Supper. And we prayed for, uh, for the world, and we prayed prayers of submission, and we prayed prayers of confession, and a good number of us gathered so it's not just this that we've celebrated this week. We've, we've celebrated this journey with Jesus, but it definitely culminates uh, in, this, in this gospel good news story of Jesus being raised from the dead. So I'm glad you're here. Glad that you're here to participate in this. Uh, one of the things I love about being a, a dad is nighttime, bedtime. Nighttime, that too. <laughs> Everybody's just asleep. It's wonderful. <laughs> that was a, my middle name is Floyd, for those of you who didn't know that. Floyd, and sometimes when I say things like that, I call it a Floydian slip. So that was, uh, that was what was really coming out. But I love bedtime leading up to nighttime because those moments around the, the, the bedtime experience are, are pretty sweet ones with our kids. And we've kind of grabbed onto those moments as, as just, you know, times that, that we'll cherish and hold on to deeply. And times when maybe hearts are a little bit softer and a little more vulnerable and we can have some wonderful conversation and, and prayer and, and just sharing together. It wasn't always this way. I'll, I'll tell you, when my daughter was two, Katie in Children's Church? Well, either way. Uh, when she was two, bedtime was not such a pleasant experience for me. Uh, she used to do just about anything she could to get out of having me put her to bed. And uh, I, I believe one time we had a story that mom was the queen and I was the king. And I think the phrase was, I don't want the king. He's a bad king. Something like that. <laughs> so we had to set up all sorts of... Uh, you know, strategies so that I could put her to bed at least, you know, every other night. But uh, these are wonderful times with, uh, with our, our daughter and, uh, and our son now. I think a lot of it stems from my own experience. My sister and I, when we were kids, we used to love bedtime with our, with our parents. And we had a ritual, and I've told some of you about this. It was called Tell Me in the Morning. And uh, don't judge me for this, but uh, we... <laughs> 
We used to have to ask our parents every night, and we had this little saying, Mom, Dad, tell me in the morning. And uh, basically what that meant was, we need you to tell us what's going to happen from the moment our eyes open until they go close again at the end of the day. And uh, so, boy, I just, as I think about it now, the patience of my mom and dad to, to line out everything that was going to happen on that day for us, because we had requested them to tell us in the morning. Well, uh, I, uh, this is maybe what plays in a little bit to, to the emphasis that we have on, on bedtime now. But now it's a moment of reflecting on the day. It's looking forward to the one that's coming. It's sharing a concern or a fear. It's praying for God's blessing in our lives. And if you're a parent and you have kids and they still will let you near them when they're going to bed, then I'd encourage you to, to take advantage of those, of those moments. Um, bedtime is much more for us than just going to bed. In other words, it's, it's one of those systems or one of those structures that we have put into place in our family to, to nurture a much bigger idea, a much bigger notion this idea of relationships, this idea of, of, of interaction, this idea of family, this idea of sharing love uh, for one another. Um, we all maybe have s- structures. I know I have other structures and frameworks in place to support other priorities in my, in my life. I know my Monday morning cup of coffee and sometimes run or walk along the beach with my wife is a pretty important system, a pretty important structure for us to have in place so that we can just spend time together connecting a little bit, both practically so we know which direction we're going for the week, and emotionally so that we remember that, that we're married. This isn't just a business arrangement that we, that we have going on here. And, and so these are important structures. Maybe you have some frameworks in your own life to help you accomplish the things that you long to get done. Some of you are saying right now, framework, structure. Oh, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe that's the issue. I haven't quite got that yet. I have one friend, in fact, who one of his stated goals in life is to have more time to, quote, hang out. You hear what I said? I mean, that's one of his stated goals. I don't know if he's written it down, but he's got it in his mind that one of his, more, his stated goals in life is to have more time to, quote, hang out to spend time with friends and family. And so uniquely, he has arranged his work schedule, and the guy works hard. And, but he's arranged his work schedule. He's, he's given up some things, and he's taken on some other things so that he can arrange his schedule so that when his family and when his friends have their free time, he can have his as well. He's put in place a system or, or a structure a framework so that he can accomplish the goals that he wants to accomplish. Maybe some of us have a goal to save some money or pay off some debt. We need to establish a system or a framework that will help us to either make a little more money or spend a little bit less so we can do that. I know lots of people who have wanted to make better use of their time, right? To manage their time more effectively, more efficiently. So they establish a a, a program or a structure or framework so that we can uh, use our time and accomplish the things that we really want to do with this. Now, some of us are better at this than others, but we can all do a little bit better. And the truth of the matter is that we all need a framework or a structure as well in place 
to help us experience the kind of transformation that God would have us to experience in our lives, that He longs for each of us to experience. We need a, we need a framework, we need a, a structure, a system in which to live in order to, to help that to happen. We need a pattern that will be in place to help us grow and become all that God has in mind for us to be. Some of us would, would, would point to the idea of going to church or reading our Bible or spending more time in prayer as, that, as pieces at least of that pattern, and we would be right. But I want to suggest to us this morning an even more basic framework perhaps for us that grows out of the Easter message. It's a pattern that, that we might just simply call a, a matter of death and life. Now, we're all you know, used to the phrase, it's a matter of life and death, and, uh, and the frantic nature of, of life when we hear that, the, that phrase, right? A matter of, it's a matter of life and death. It's urgent. It's, it's important. This is very urgent as well, but notice the reversal of the words. It's a matter of death and life. We celebrate today the heart of the Christian faith. It's the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And as nice as it is to celebrate it with sunrise services and baptisms and choirs and lilies and Easter egg hunts and egg dishes, by the way, they were wonderful this morning. And I don't know, Donna, but I think there's probably a little food left over. If anybody needs a pastry, after the service. If you need a pastry, I know where you can get a good deal on one over in the kitchen. Um, uh, as nice as it is to celebrate with baptism and breakfast and all these things, Easter isn't just an idea that we commemorate or we should commemorate just one time a year. In reality, the message that we center in on today is and should be the very framework for the Christian life that is to be carried out over and over and over throughout the year and throughout the years. This pattern of Jesus, what we might call this Easter framework, His dying and His rising, is and should be the foundation of our very life, our, the totality of our life as His followers. You see, as, as Christians, we align ourselves with the pattern of Jesus. We learn to die. We learn to die to ourselves. We learn to die to the sin in our lives. That which would displease God. That, that which is disobedient to what God would have for us. So that again... Like Jesus, over and over again, we might be made alive. We might move to a new level of living, truly living for God, even here and now. Writer and pastor John Ortberg, he asked this question that I think is a good one for all of us today. What happens if we look at death and resurrection, not just as events at the center of Holy Week, but as the primary framework for spiritual transformation. Jesus seemed to view His own path as an expression of this principle for growth. The road to life for Jesus always ran through death. I love 
how Jesus spoke of himself and all of us in a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. I'd love to have you read this with me. John chapter 12. Let's stand for a moment, can we? It's brief, but let's stand and read it all together. At the end, I'll just say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. Let's read it together. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. This is an interesting passage. We could spend a lot of time just digging into it. But this idea that it was Jesus' life that like a seed would, give, would come to new life and give new life. We celebrate here at Easter. It was Jesus' life that would come to life and give new life only after it was buried. Only after it had died could Jesus' body be raised Without, without Good Friday, there is no Easter. Without His death, there is no resurrection. It was only because He died, because He was buried, that He could come to new life and He could give new life. And Jesus seems to be saying in this passage that it's, it's our lives as well that can only experience new life. Can only experience new life. And, and in turn, give new life to others that we encounter when we have ourselves died to sin. When we have been buried with Jesus to ourselves and our self-centeredness. Here's a, here's a pot that is at our house and uh, interestingly, Kyla on a whim threw a couple of apple seeds into some dirt. Last week or? Yeah. And lo and behold, as the seed was buried, if you can't see it, these two green shoots came up from the dirt. Here's what seeds do when they're, when they're buried. As, as I was looking at this, I was thinking to myself, what? and maybe some of you history buffs know how, this, how all this worked out, but I'm just imagining the, the, the first person who threw some seeds into the dirt. Must have seemed pretty crazy. It really. I mean, these seeds that would have been edible in a society probably that valued things that were edible, to throw them into the ground and bury them. Maybe it was an accident. I don't know exactly how it happened. But, but there it went. And, and just a few days later, if that, green shoots began to come up out of the ground. And... and uh, life would never be the same again for all humanity, really. Uh, interesting how life emerged. Seeds. In order to grow more seeds, in order to produce more life, must be first buried. It's been pointed out by scholars that Jesus' words here are not a command. There, there's no, thou shalt be buried, or... Thou shalt throw some seeds in the ground here and they'll emerge. No, instead, this is a, 
an observation. This is Jesus simply saying, this is the way things are. This is how it happens in nature, and this is how it happens in the spiritual realm as well. To die, to be buried, which looks like an end for a seed and for our lives is really a beginning. In fact, this is the only way a seed can grow. This is the only way a life can grow. This is the way it happens for our lives. Jesus says that if we try to hold on to them, if we try to grasp them, if we try to hold on and have control of our own lives, if we try to just kind of dominate, if we, if we try to grasp them, we will lose them. But Jesus says at the same time, if we let them go, if we, if we willingly choose to sacrifice of ourselves, we will know the life of Jesus. It would happen that way, again, with Jesus Himself. Only in His death could there be a resurrection. Could there be a new life. And only in our death to ourselves and to our sin can there be a new life born. So, really the question for us today is, where do we need to die? <laughs> what, a, what a pleasant message that you get to hear on Easter Sunday. Where do we need to die? Because you see, we can't ask the question, how do we need to live? Until we ask the question of where do we need to die? What do we need to die to in our own lives? What's got a grip on us? What is down deep within us holding on to us? What attitude, what perspective, what worldview, what behavior, what what uh, addiction, what issue has hold on us and is living in us? We need to die to that even today. C.S. Lewis tells a story in his book, The Great Divorce, about a man who was approached by an angel. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the man, interestingly, carries a lizard on his shoulder. You can picture the scene. And the lizard represents a, a spirit of lust, a mismanaged sexuality that has turned into a habit and is dominating this man's thoughts and his life. Everything about him is dominated by this. The man hates the lizard, but he can't stand the thought of life without it. Appropriate, this illustration written many years ago is to our day today where we have such a misunderstood and mismanaged understanding of sexuality in our world. The angel offers to kill the lizard right on the spot, but the man objects. He doesn't want anything that drastic. He doesn't want the lizard dead. He just wants the lizard manageable. He's interested in a, uh, a gradual process of lizard management. <laughs> he can tame that lizard. The angel tells him, though, that the gradual process is of no use at all. Death is the only way. <laughs> 
The angel will kill the lizard, but he cannot do so without the man's permission. And finally, you can imagine the man, and you can imagine maybe yourself who've been in a wrestling match like this with something in your own life. Finally, so miserable by the, by the, by the lizards remaining in his life, finally the man consents. He knows perhaps that what's lost that that'll mean for him, but he knows that he can't go on living with it. And he consents to the angel. There's a horrible burning that Lewis speaks of. And the man and the lizard fall to the ground, apparently dead. But they are not dead for long. But note the change, and the story was surprising to me because the man rises more solid and strong and glorious than ever before. And the lizard rises as well. But now no longer as a lizard, but as a spirited stallion. For though the man must die to sinful, mismanaged lust and sexuality, it is not destroyed in this death. It is redeemed. It is made new is given new life. I wonder today, what is it that what is it that you need to die to? What is it that you just need to, to bury? What is it that you've been managing and you've been telling God I can handle that? And you've been saying to the angel who offers to put it to death, nah, just a little bit more management. We can do this. What is it in, in our lives? Maybe for some of us, it's the totality of our life to this point. If we were just honest with ourselves, we would have to say, you know, my past to this point has just, it's not been pleasing to God. It has not been what God would have me to be. It's not the life that He's called me to live. It's not the person that He created me to be. I just need to bury that. And much as these folks who were baptized this morning were buried into the water with Christ and raised from that. You just need to say, God, just, just let that die, that part of me die. Let the totality of my past simply be buried. Maybe for others, it's, it's something else. What do you need to leave behind you today? Is it a wrongful slavery to sexuality like it was this man in this story? Is it a, a love for money or prestige or power that their influence that fuels so much of our daily lives? And, and if you stop to think about it for a moment, this is what, what drives us, these things that we pursue. Is it, is it one of these things that just has a hold on us that we need to die to today? Maybe for some of us today, we need to die to our, our insecurity. I, I began to think this week about just how many of us are, are gripped, are controlled by the level of insecurity in our lives. Unsure about this, unsure about that, unsure of our own, our own well-being, unsure of who we are and who we're becoming. Do we just need to die to that level of insecurity? Do we need to die to our need to control our lives and 
perhaps the lives of others as well. What is it that we need to die to today? What is it like the seed in your life that needs to be buried so that new life can grow? New life can emerge. The invitation of Easter, my friends. The invitation of this gospel story of Jesus buried, crucified, dead, buried, and raised again is for us as well to experience this, this pattern, this structure, this framework, both today and in the days to come. We die. We rise. We die. We rise. Jesus, you have something new that you're pointing out in my life that's displeasing to you? I die so that I might rise. May we experience the risen Christ today. And may we experience the rising that he calls us to. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life, and thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you, God. We, we don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted that on this day, we can set it aside to particularly remember and honor and celebrate what it is that you have done, the new life that you have made available to us in Jesus and in His resurrection. But I'm praying for everyone in this room here today that this truth of Easter would not somehow be isolated and and set aside to this day and this day only and that, that, that we would somehow neglect or forget its marvelous truths the rest of the days of our lives, but that instead this pattern, this framework that you have given to us in Jesus' death and resurrection would, would be that which by we, we build our lives, we structure our existence, that dying and rising would be so ingrained into us that, that daily we would experience death to ourselves, buried so that we might be risen to live with you you. Oh God, may, uh, may the sin, the, the past, the particular thing perhaps, the lizard of our lives, may, may we allow it to die today. May we allow it to be put to death so that we might be raised to walk in newness of life. And as you point those things out to us, in days to come, may we be quick to say, bury it, Jesus. Let me be buried with you, that I might rise with you. And may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, 
brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May He equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.